Dave here. Just a little food for thought before diving into the next episode. After our last release, which featured a great interview with Allison Williams and an extensive collection of photos from various periods of her career, Allison reached out to me with some great constructive feedback. She wrote, I've got a reasonable social media following these days, and my people have never visited your site before, and about half of them are emailing me telling me that they can't locate the actual podcast on the page. I don't know if you usually have that long a strip of pictures, but it might be worth putting the sound file at the top of the page for new visitors to find more easily. This is great feedback and something that's likely quite easy to fix if you know your way around working within a WordPress infrastructure. In my response to Allison, I wrote, Thanks for the feedback. I get it and I agree. Years ago, when I started this project, I took my limited knowledge of how to make things happen, made them happen, then focused on creating content. What the project really needs is someone who's much better than I am at doing the back-end web stuff who can take these sorts of suggestions and run with them. So, if you're that person and you'd be willing to help us improve things, please reach out to Magic Brian at magic at buskerhalloffame.com and let us know. All right, let's get to it. The hardest part about working in Calgary is getting that first five people to stop, right? And you're just standing out on the street screaming jokes, yelling at people. I now just juggle until I get someone's attention. I don't even talk to them until I get someone making eye contact with me. And then once I have that first three or four people, then I'll show them a card trick and build the show from there. Getting the people to stop is so hard in Calgary. But in Edmonton, you're right. I just set up my table on White Avenue and people stop right away. Maybe they want entertainment. In Calgary, people are more self-sufficient. They want to entertain themselves. Yeah, they got money for booze. Yeah. And if you do get a crowd, usually it's a cop telling you to piss off and move yeah. along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the difference is. But, I mean, I've experienced the same thing in different cities, right? It's the same problem on Rundle Mall in Adelaide. Hundreds upon thousands of people. And you're standing there and you are really struggling to get one person to stop. You need, once once you, get you get that, that break. Once you get that break, then everything sort of flows together. But you can be standing there for 10, 15 minutes waiting for that one person to stop. Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm David Aiken, the Checkerboard Guy, your host for this growing collection of interviews. Street performers have a gift for taking public spaces and turning them into theatrical venues, but there's sometimes a bit of a disconnect between what would appear to be the intended purpose for a space and what local regulations actually allow you to do. It's like being starving hungry, but having your hands handcuffed behind your back. Of course, just because a group of people gather on a potential pitch doesn't necessarily make it a gold mine either. Some venues and some crowds you really don't want to perform for. Then, of course, there's the weather, which can ultimately be the biggest obstacle. But figure out ways to overcome these challenges and you can still find ways to fill your hat. In other words, where there's a will, there's a way. Eric Amber connected with James Jimbo Jordan to discuss how their shared hometown of Calgary, Alberta shaped the choices James made and the performer he became. Calgary may not have been the easiest place to hone his craft as a street-performing comedy magician, but there's no doubt that the tests he faced at home made him a better performer wherever he traveled to and contributed to a life filled with some pretty amazing stories from the pitch. So, you know, I grew up in Calgary. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember we used to go down busking yeah. downtown. 
first it was Stephen Avenue Mall, mm-hmm. and then eventually it was yeah. Eau Claire Market up by the river. Yeah. But it's always been a tough bag performing in this town. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were a big inspiration for me when you and the three Canadians did Bravo. At least I, I saw something on Bravo where they interviewed the three Canadians. I don't know what the show was. I don't know what it was about. But I do remember you saying in the interview, yeah, Calgary sucks. And then Derek sort of says, well, you don't just say that on TV. And then you're like, no, they have to know. I have to tell them. This is the only way they will learn is by hearing a celebrity on television tell people they suck. <laughs> a faux celebrity on a faux TV station. <laughs> Which just after that was airing softcore pornography. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's the only reason I was tuned in, was I was waiting for the, the naked shot on Monty Python's Flying Circus. <laughs> right, right. I'm waiting so for the... you only saw me on TV because you thought it was a porn channel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish you were the first person to say that. <laughs> Hell, I won't be the last. Probably no. not. <laughs> Probably not. <clears throat> no, it's a tough town to perform in. I remember in 1988, the city of Calgary had the Olympics. Yeah. And they rebuilt sort of the waterfront. Was I, that because of the 88 Olympics? Yeah. Cause like, like that circle pitch there was there because yeah. of the Olympics. Wow. Well, I mean, the YMCA is there. Yeah. And they have the really weird arch and the Olympic rings sort of set in the um, mm-hmm. footpath. Right. And then they built that beautiful, round amphitheater yeah. that they then turned around and told people no one could use. Yeah, no, it's just here for decoration. <laughs> Which I, And you know, I find that really frustrating that councils all over the world, they spend public money yeah. to build these outdoor amphitheaters mm-hmm. that are meant for outdoor entertainment. Yeah, but only the ones that are booked and only the ones that happen once or twice a year. The rest of the year, it has to sit there vacant, and it just people walk by it and not really know that it's even there. They just sort of ignore it yeah. over time. And obviously, they're designed with this outdoor activity mandate, mm-hmm. but then they don't want the people yeah. who are able to use it yeah. to use it. Yeah. Yeah, for years there was, uh, they even had a sign up there that said this is the bus stop. And like, do you remember the rules? They were all the rules, but they all started with no. No amplification, no danger, no height, no selling, no uh, soliciting, nothing. You were allowed to do nothing. There weren't any positive reinforcements, right? And so the sign itself was very oppressive. And I never really enjoyed working there while that sign was there. And that to me, represents in a lot of ways Calgary. Yeah. It's like, no. I've been here now busking for uh, about close to 15, 16, maybe even 17 years now. So I've seen it come in waves. I've seen the the height of the 90s where there was the Eric and Derek. I, th- I even remember watching uh, Hot, or um, uh, you, the three Canadians. At Eau Claire Market. At Eau Claire Market. One or two times. I remember there being... Just when it opened. Yeah. It had a lot of potential. Yeah. And they actually wanted buskers for a few months. And then they just kind of did a about face. Mm. Yeah. And there was Dan the One Man Band and Paul Isaac. And there was another troupe that would perform on a rolled out carpet. 
And I don't remember what they did, but I remember them calling themselves The Carpet Show. I don't remember it very clearly. It wasn't a very memorable show, I guess. <laughs> Probably just sounds to me as I describe it in my head. I've seen like just a bunch of dirty hippies rolling out a carpet and then maybe someone sits in the middle of it and juggles a crystal ball while two other people like spin poi. Like a totally haphazard, not actually a show. They just fill the pitch for an hour sit there and do this thing. Whoa, whoa, that describes half the shows I've ever known. <laughs> Hopefully not half this podcast's audience. <laughs> no. <laughs> what, they can't listen to podcasts? They need an iPhone. Right. <laughs> and those have to be purchased. Yeah, they have to be bought yeah, yes. through the system. You're on the grid as soon as you get yourself an iPhone. Whoa, man. <laughs> you don't want to be on the grid, dude. Right. I just get my news through my crystal ball. <laughs> Can I trade your iPhone for my poi? <laughs> yeah, so there was the height of the 90s, and then uh, everybody left. Because the rules. Because the rules changed. I think that was probably when I became a busker, was uh, when I was able to go inside Eau Claire Market. Back when the inside was actually a really viable pitch as well. People were walking around. There was musicians. There was one of my favorites who I've never seen again was this old Russian guy who would juggle seven rings while balancing a teddy bear on top of a long pole. And then he would toss the rings and each arm and leg and then the head and then the nose uh, all caught the rings. And he did it with precision accuracy. I this remember guy him. was a pro. He was good. I remember yeah. the last thing he said before he left town was like, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah, Something I, along that line. Yeah, probably. I don't know where he went or what he did, but hopefully he subscribes to this podcast and I want you to know I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's just it. Like, well, That's a typical Calgaryan thing. They spent millions of dollars on this market. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that they promoted as like a farmer's market. Then they charge really ridiculous rent. Yeah. And then they yeah. systematically shut everything down. And now it's, it's kind of half empty. It's almost apocalyptic when you walk in there. It's so empty. It's this place that was once this vibrant market. And now the market part of it is a small grocery store that sits sort of in the middle of it, whereas it used to take up the whole market. Yeah. The whole market was just produce and farmers and all kinds of really fun stuff and artisan vendors, and then buskers were thrown on top of that. And it was this beautiful place for me to start busking, and that's where I started just standing out and doing card tricks. Well, that's just, it goes to show you can't control every element. Uh, like mm -hmm. a, a market has to have a bit of chaos. It's got to be inviting. Mm -hmm. What invites people is that you know human chaotic yeah. element. And yeah. that's what street performing is. It's that X factor, that human chaotic element. Have you ever spoken to the people who run that market now? No, no. I remember in the mid-90s, right at the height of things right. that you were describing, Dan the One Man Band and I went to Calgary City Council and tried to start a street festival. And our aim was to do it on Stephen Avenue Mall mm. with Eau Claire as sort of the weekend spot. Right, yeah. And they said, you know, this is such a great idea, but can you do it in February? What? Right. <laughs> no! For our listeners, February is like minus 40 degrees Celsius. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking middle of it's, winter. It's the most depressing month Calgarians have. Yeah. 
And they knew what they were saying. They were like, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is basically them saying no, mm. but, well, yeah, that's great. We love everything you're talking about, but, yeah. you know, we need something in February. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, we need is a not... dome over the city in February. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? I don't know. Because we do get the Chinooks in February, which are this sudden rush of warm weather, which can last two or three days. It might be kind of neat to have buskers on call. And right, you pay them to live in Calgary for the whole month of February. And then whenever there's a Chinook in, because people will walk up and down Stephen Ave, you might be able to throw together a couple shows and call it like the Surprise Chinook Festival. I remember in 1988 when the Winter Olympics happened, we had a Chinook. And uh, it rolled into town. It lasted almost a week. Hmm. It was like 10, 15 degrees in the middle of winter. In the middle of winter while people are trying to ski. Yeah, trying to ski and the bobsled <laughs> melted. And all of the snow melted and the whole city was brown. And all the tourists were walking around and going, why is it, what's that smell? And I was like, yeah, that's all the thawing that's dog thawing shit. dog shit. Right, so the whole city smelled like dog shit. I was like, ha, 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 fuck you, Calgary. You know, you deserve that. Yeah. But, yeah. like, so, how did you get into street performing? Uh, well, like I said, I started with Eau Claire Market, and I was always a magician. Oh, so you, I, like, so let's go backwards. You grew up in Calgary, and did you go to, like, art school, or? Um, I had, I went to uh, just regular public junior high and high school, but they both had amazing drama teachers. Uh, my junior high, uh, Leanne Stenga at that time, now it's Leanne Mephistopheles, she was a terrific drama teacher who let me start an improv club um, in my junior high, and that got me into theater, and I was always in the school plays, and during the summer, my parents sort of signed me up for uh, various different drama camps, so there was a lot of theater in my life growing up. Uh, and you had progressive parents who were cool with that. Yeah, absolutely. They were very supportive of my arts. My father and mother listened to every song that I ever sang. They were very supportive. My mother always watched me do card tricks. I would always be reading a book or watching a video. And when I was ready to show a card trick, she was the first person who saw it every day. So she was very supportive. So I think of you as a magic guy now. Yeah. That's what you well, kind of how you started. Absolutely. It, like magic, magic was always at the root of everything that I did. I think I always wanted to get into theater to become a better magician. Because a lot of the books that I was reading as a young magician sort of told me, you got to take dance class, you got to take theater, you got to learn how to articulate, and you have to learn how to announce your words or pronounce your words. You have to do it all in theater. It's not enough to know the trick. You need the, you need the showmanship. Yeah, absolutely. Some of my first books were, uh, I don't know if there's any other magicians listening to the podcast, but were Daryl Fitzke books. And Daryl Fitzke talks all about the, the showmanship of magic, not necessarily teaching tricks specific to a genre. He tells about how to create a magic effect so that if you want to amaze someone, these are the steps you have to take to make it an amazing trick. Including a bit of ooh and ah, yeah, and asking asking for it. <laughs> that actually, that I learned from street performers. You have to ask for people to ooh and ah. <laughs> you got to tell people how to react. Well, with magic, definitely. 
uh, if your trick is good enough, your audience will sit there in silence and <laughs> just. Like, should we stab this person? <laughs> I feel like this man should be burned. <laughs> yes. This is a witch. <laughs> so I try not to perform that strong of an effect, at least not on the street. Right. I have a new finale in my show that I've had to cut from my street show because it's too strong. It just doesn't garnish the finale response that you need on the street to make money. Right. right. It's got to be sort of um, what you might call um, strategically shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I like to think of it as the, the magic that you perform on the street should be more of a conjuring nature. Something more of a leisure demand where the audience is appreciating the fact that you are a skilled magician. Not necessarily someone with supernatural powers, but someone who has studied the art of sleight of hand and is good enough at it that they can appreciate it like a juggler or a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. That's the type of magic that I prefer on the street. In the theaters, I much prefer to blow people's minds and do mentalism and uh, my new finale that I was talking about where I actually take someone's signed card and shrink it. And then I even shrink their signature, which just blows people away. The fact that they signed it and I shrunk their signature. And I've never met that person before. There was no stooges. And somehow I shrink their signature. And like that on the street, they just go, wow, cool. And they give me nothing else. <laughs> also, because on the street you're performing for larger crowds. Yeah, so it's... When you do something that ends really small... It takes away the oomph from the trick. That's always been, I think, the sort of the weakness of the street magic show. It's just like the audience is just often a little too far away. Yeah. So I'm still doing the cups and balls on the street until I find a better way to perform. The actual effect itself with the shrinking has a really large start to it where I get about... 20 mousetraps put on my table and then a blindfold put on and then all the cards are spread all over the table and then I sift through the mousetraps snapping them on my fingers getting all kinds of big laughs so there's this big effect but the actual very end of it where the sh card is shrunk stuck to the back of one of the mousetraps and the signature is shrunk just is too small to actually get an audience to right. cheer for it yeah in the theaters, I even had to ask for the applause. But. <laughs> yeah. But you didn't start as a... Oh, no, I guess you started doing magic. But you, when I first started, started... When I first saw you street performing, you were doing different kind of stuff. Well, when you had a I... a straight jacket or something? Yeah, when, actually, when I first did my very first circle show, I still did a card trick for my finale. I had this uh, puppet raccoon... And I would do a bit of business with a puppet raccoon, throw it in a kennel with a large jumbo deck of cards after someone has selected it, and then pull the jumbo deck of cards out and fan through them and find one card chewed on. And one card has like the corner chewed out of it, and that ends up being the selected card from the audience. And that was my finale, right? That evolved into the opening act of my show because it was strong enough to gather people's attention. I didn't have to require too much from the audience for me to just sort of go into the act, which meant people can just sort of stop and watch from a distance, um, which is the best way to start a show, I think. And then I would finale with doing a straitjacket escape. 
And then the straitjacket escape evolved into a straitjacket and saran wrap escape. And then that evolved into my proudest escape, actually, a full-body scuba suit that I built that is a straitjacket as well. So buckles and straps and zippers and, like, one tube for both legs that strapped both my legs together. So it was very much the same look as the escaping from the straitjacket and the saran wrap. It was the same effect. But now I get five people from the audience to squirt me with water guns. And for uh, a brief period of time, I even filled up a hundred water balloons and had the front row of my audience pelt me with water balloons. There's a new device. It's actually made me want to revamp the show. I don't fit into that scuba suit anymore. (laughs) So I'd have to build a new scuba suit. But there's a new device that allows you to fill... 50 water balloons at once. Oh. And it automatically ties them off, and you just fill, and they fall into a bucket. You know, guys like us will be walking through a toy shop and see a device like <laughs> totally. that. And we're like, you know what? I'm going to design a whole street show around this gadget I don't need to buy. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's how a lot of street shows start. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I get a lot of stuff from walking through dollar stores. I started in Calgary, but we quickly left. You kind of stayed here, and you became sort of the Calgary guy. Yeah, I guess I did. I mean, <laughs> in, a, in, in a way, that's good because the community gets to know you. Mm-hmm. And You'd think so, though. Like, I would think I've been on that pitch now every weekend for 17 years. Eventually, I'd have to move. Eventually, I'd run out of an audience to perform for, and I'd have to go to another town, but I've never experienced that. No one ever walks away from my show saying, I saw that guy last year. We should stick around and watch him. He's really good. No one knows who the hell I am when I go out there. It's always different people. Calgary has a bit of an incredulous kind of relationship with outdoor entertainment. Mm -hmm. If it's not like the Calgary Stampede, If it ain't got a horse in it, they don't think it's entertainment. (laughs) That's what I'm missing. That's what I'm missing. I need a puppet horse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you need a chuck wagon. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, sometimes they just look at you like, I mean, more so here than any place else I've ever been. Calgary's got that. You're on the street, you're a beggar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I think, uh, well, we made the mistake of calling the Stampede the greatest outdoor show on earth, which means... Anything else that happens in Calgary that's outside falls short and will never live up to the great Calgary stampede. And they have such a power over the city council that, like, if you approach the city and say, I want to do a festival, mm. they say it can't be within, you know, several weeks of either end of the, fe- of of the, the, stampede. Of the stampede. Yeah. Because they're like, they have so much power. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the amount of tourists that come in specifically for the stampede. And, like, they don't spend all 10 days on the Stampede Grounds. You can't. It's not that interesting. I mean, you spend maybe three or four days and you've seen everything. You booked a ticket. Your hotel is booked. You're here for 10 days. What else is there to do? Well, yeah, there's only so many corn dogs you can eat. (laughs) I don't know. I can eat a lot of corn dogs. (laughs) Well, Uh, (laughs) clearly you have because you don't fit your scuba suit anymore. (laughs) It's all thanks to the carny food. I have a thing about carny food. Every winter I go on a diet and I try to lose all the money that I... All the the money. (laughs) Here's the secret about carny food is that it's the same as other food. But it's on a stick. (laughs) Which means 
means you can have it and a drink at the same time. Apple on a stick, hot dog on a stick, you got mango (laughs) on a stick. I think I even saw pizza on a stick once. (laughs) I think I've seen pizza on a stick. Yeah, pizza on like a series of sticks, though. Yeah. Yeah. I should get into the stick business. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that's how you sell money. That's right. That's that's how you make money. Just get some sticks. Sticks to carnies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I uh, I eat a lot of carny food. That's for sure. Do you think that Calgary, being a bit more of a white collar town, has something to do with its relationship with street performing? Uh, what I mean specifically is that Edmonton has a pretty good street festival, mm-hmm. and Edmonton has a really good fringe festival that has yeah. an outdoor element. And because it's more of a blue collar town, the blue collar people sort of appreciate the fact that this guy's working for his money he's out there sweating he's built his own thing i think the white collar people can appreciate it for that level too though couldn't they like this man started from nothing and now look at him he's got a whole bunch of nothing on the street i'm only speculating because Mm -hmm. it seems like edmonton which is only three hours from here it's another city in alberta it's not hard to get a crowd people will stop they will watch they enjoy it but here Something about street performing in Calgary has always been a bit of a grind. It has been. And yet, the one-day events. Mm-hmm. Calgary has several yeah. one-day... That are huge. Yeah. And in fact, they're so popular yeah. that you can't do street show because there's just too many people. Yeah, the Lilac Festival is coming up next week. And I don't even apply for Lilac Festival anymore because it's too busy. There's so many people. There's no room for a circle. There's no room for a circle show. So I find a pitch off of the festival grounds and just work my own thing there. And the nice thing is, I didn't pay a permit to the Lilac Festival, and I can work my pitch as many times as I want. Right. And I would love for other buskers to find out about it, because it does get a little bit trying, being the only guy standing in Memorial Park, gathering crowds over and over and over again. You have the whole day. And... I can only really roll out five shows maximum before my voice and before my spirit is completely destroyed. I mean, the the (laughs) Lilac Festival is a special one because, like, usually by the time it rolls around, Calgarians are fucking sick of winter. Yeah. And then all the girls in their little shorts and their dogs come out and it just floods with all these young, Mm -hmm. hot people looking at each other. But then that's the problem. All they want to do is, like, get drunk and look at each other. They don't even want to look at the kiosks or, like, get any food on a stick. They just want to look at each other. Yeah. And, like, people dress up in the craziest costumes, and they just want to be in public. You know? They just want to be around people. It's this weird... I don't know. We've been craving social interaction for so long, and finally we get the chance to do it, and we don't know what to do with it. Right? We just sort of stand around each other. Well, it's like uh, the... Calgary Flames and the ice hockey uh, finals. <laughs> All the people go outside and then they start swearing and groping each other. Yeah, we don't know what to do with our joy, with our happiness. Oh, yay! And that comes from because we don't know why the hell we're so happy that the Flames are in the playoffs. Some crowds are just not worth working. No. Like, oh, the Red Mile, I would never consider working. Yeah, like never. if you do a show on the Red Mile after Ooh. a hockey game, everybody's drunk. Like, you think, oh, yeah, all these people, they want entertainment. No, they no, don't. they don't. They, they will they, pick you up and cart you away. They want something to pick on and abuse. If that is your show, if you can be abused by an audience, then you will make tons of money. Right. And if you have a thick enough skin, and for some reason that's just what you do. Alakazam might be able to work it. 
Yeah? Yeah, I don't think I could. I don't know. You know what? This interview is turning into like, you know what? Fuck Calgary. (laughs) This town sucks. (laughs) It doesn't suck, but I mean, definitely certain parts of Calgary you don't want to work. But, you know, I commend you for, you know, sticking it out and then starting the festival. Or trying to initiate that thing. Right. Because so many people have tried to start a festival, a yeah, street festival. and they've given up, like I have. <laughs> um, I don't know, I had a five-year plan, and then at the end of the five-year plan, nothing changed. I was still doing the same thing. So I thought, well, it's time to change my five-year plan and start focusing on, instead of being the savior of Calgary, how about I just be James Jordan, the magician, right? I think that can be said for a lot of things. Yeah. You know, like, sometimes people have these idealistic goals about, you know, saving the world in various ways. But it's just when you just focus on yourself that things start to fall into place. Yeah, eventually Superman's going to turn on society and Batman's going to have to bring him back down. (laughs) I wouldn't have gone in that direction with with the analogy, but I think I understand. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a big nerd. Uh, Yeah, like... I love our pitch. I love the circle stage. It's I a love good pitch. that amphitheater. And um, this year, I'm trying something new. It's stupid to be saying that I'm trying something new when I say I'm going to work every day. Uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa, you got a debt collector on I your love, ass? What yeah, you? <laughs> there's that, there's that. Uh, I've been walking to the pitch during the lunch hours and noticing the amount of crowd that's actually hanging around just eating lunch there. And they seem to be different people every day. I feel like at least two or three times a week, I can probably go out there and work from three to seven o'clock. I don't want to hit the lunch hour because it seems I've tried Stephen Avenue at the lunch and nobody wants to be entertained. They don't have very long. It's kind of hard to actually hold a crowd unless you have Al's show, which is 20 minutes. Um, you probably can't really do it. When I have worked Stephen Avenue the Mall, I've just jumped straight into my finale. I don't even gather a crowd. Right. I just say, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. I got one, two, three perfectly identical cups and just go straight into the cups and balls. Um, I don't even do my... Which is a <clears> shame because <throat> my favorite part of my show is my gather. I love the draw. I love... I have a big case full of gags and full of tricks that I just slowly bring out until I get a crowd, and I love that part of my show. The last time I saw Gazo was in mm. Covent Garden, yeah, in London. And How, when was that? Oh, it's been a while. Mm. But he was doing like eight, ten shows a day, but yeah. they were like fifteen, twenty minute shows, just yeah. banging them out. Yeah, I mean, he's always been a worker. Yeah, absolutely, and I totally appreciate that. And that's one of the great skills of being a magician on the street is that you don't really wear yourself out. You're not up on a pole. You're not risking your life. You're not juggling. You're not running around like a crazy person. You don't run out of breath. You just do card tricks. And you have the energy to do that all day. And every trick that you do is finale worthy, right? You don't have to always get to your cups. Sometimes I finale with a card trick. Sometimes I finale with cut and restored rope. Sometimes I finale with the linking rings. Just wherever I am is where I finale if I'm working that kind of a pitch where I just can work all day. But I'd still prefer 
to gather a crowd and get to my finale. I just get more out of that. But you don't just do street anymore. No, no. I've branched out. I've now gotten into the indoor festivals at the uh, fringes. And you, uh, uh, you've been running like a variety show for a few years. Yeah, yeah. That's another. That's another thing that like it's the same reason I did the street performers. I wanted to hang out with my friends, build a community where we could just be together, have drinks, do a show, uh, have some fun on stage together, and then go out and have more drinks. And how has Calgary responded to the variety thing? I think Calgary responded very well. It's very hard to get word of mouth in this city, though. It's very hard to get people to talk about the show and get other people. I guess people it's talk about city. the show, but it's, it's hard to get people to listen to those people. Well, I mean, it is a big city. Yeah. It's a very spread out. I think, I don't mm. know if this is correct, but I read somewhere that Calgary is the largest city in North America per square kilometer. Like oh, really? It, it's so flat and spread out. Right. That, you know, we literally live... Yeah, you know, if I was performing in Inglewood, so I'm performing for Inglewood. If I wanted to perform for Coventry Hills or for Shaughnessy, I'd need to be in Shaughnessy. No yeah. one's going to come from there. Yeah. Because it's, it's an hour away. It's an hour away from Inglewood. No one wants to travel. Oh, it's at least an hour yeah. across town. Yeah. Right? And because it's such a car city, mm-hmm. you know, getting people to come down or yeah. go anywhere. Yeah. Especially in winter. Yeah. You need parking. Wherever you want to do your show, you have to make sure there's parking. Although on the, yeah. other, on the upswing is that Calgary is growing. Yeah. You know, it's, the population has doubled since, I think, we were kids. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, there's definitely people maybe, here. Yeah. Maybe that's why people never recognize me on the street uh, when I'm out on the pitch every weekend. is because it's different people every week. There are new people moving into the city. They're going to check out what's this park. Oh, there's like one busker there. Uh, let's never go there again. He was good, but I mean, that was all there was. There's no point in going back there except to see a magic show. And why would I want to go back to see a magic show? Because I know the finale, right? I, oh, I've <laughs> seen that one. Yeah, yeah. You can't be surprised by magic if you've already seen it. Yeah, good point. Yeah. You know, you've, you were a street performer... And you have done some variety, and you even sort of like semi booked a street festival. I mean, do you see yourself being a booking agent or like no. a lot of street performers do that? Ooh. You know, at, you know, because they're like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm the only guy in this town, so maybe I'll be a booking. It's, yeah, sometimes wearing too many hats just doesn't work. It was getting pretty dangerous there, and I noticed that happening. It was like, uh, people were sending me promo videos. And people were contacting me about, hey, I'm going to be around. You got any work for me? Uh, you don't want to be a businessman. I man. don't want to be that. No, I want to be James Jordan magician. I want to be, I, I got, that's not why I got into this industry. I got into this industry to see my name in lights. And the producer never gets his name in lights. No one knows who they are unless it's Bialystok and Bloom, right? Nobody knows who these people are. So that's, I wanted to get out of that quick. Yeah. So you did. Yeah, I did. I just, just quit. Like, good on you. Like, <laughs> at some point, you're like, ah, that, this is bullshit. Yeah. And it was the same with being... Uh, too many hats. Yeah, too many hats. Yeah, I just wanted to be me. And I just wanted to be my show. And, you know, I wasn't developing any new stuff while I was being a booking agent. Not just for street performers, but for birthday parties and corporate gigs. And anytime my phone rang... My answer was yes. 
it may not be me who I'm sending to the gig, but my answer is yes, I can do that. Right. Right. So Which I had can get you in trouble. Yeah, I I didn't get in trouble yet, but yeah, absolutely. No, even when I was running uh, the theater in Montreal, I thought, oh, I'm going to run a venue that'll give me an opportunity to do more. Mm-hmm. But truth is, you just become a janitor. Yeah. <laughs> and you're managing all kinds of shit that you don't want to deal with. Yeah. I think it's the death of that artist in you yeah. when you take on that role. And some people are destined to do that. Some people, that's what they're very good at, the running a business, and they become the business manager of entertainment. I have never been a very good businessman. I always struggle with getting my taxes done on time. You know. Speaking so, of which, it's tax time. Uh, <laughs> will it be tax time when this airs as well? Because I still won't have my taxes done <laughs> by the time this podcast is run. <laughs> I am terrible at it. My dad is a chartered accountant, and he worked for the city of Calgary for a long time. Your dad's an accountant, and yeah. you haven't got your taxes done? Yeah, my dad hates it. <laughs> he hates it so much. He sends me a text message every week. You better get your taxes done. You got your taxes together, and he'll do my taxes for me. Right. All I have to do is my bookkeeping, which is a nightmare. Right. It's an absolute nightmare trying to get me to prove that I made any money. Yeah. Which what? is why I have to rent to own to buy a house. <laughs> still, still, you can make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, crazier things have happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that uh, if you're a performer at heart, Mm-hmm. You need to stick with that. Yeah. Yeah. But you're still a pretty young guy. Like, what's next on track? The next goal for me is cruise ships and resorts. That's really what I want to start getting into. And more comedy clubs. God, I've worked comedy clubs, but only in cities that I don't live in. Well, I don't understand. You do, are, are you feeling suicidal? You like <laughs> you, want, you hate yourself? You want to get into I've, it? I've got some issues that I want to talk stand-up about. Stand-up comedians are the worst human beings that God ever made. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be a stand-up comedian. I would be a comedy magician. No, you know, and the you thing know? is, you know, it's funny that we're taking this tack because I have always felt that the thing comedy clubs need more of yeah. is a bit of variety. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Because just the same old stand-up, stand-up, stand-up thing gets a bit boring. Yeah. And I think that stand-ups lose sort of concept of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know? It's entertainment. Yeah. Right? But a lot of them go up there and they just either, like, they rant mm-hmm. or they get bitter yeah. or they insult the crowd and yeah. they lose... They lose their concept of, you know, what they're trying to do, which is entertain the audience. Yeah. And then often when you have stand-up comedians and then you throw in a street performer oh. into the mix and it blows everybody out of the water. Yeah. And then the but stand-up comedians are like, comedians, oh. Yeah. What? They get all jealous and they get weirded out by yeah. it. And yeah. They, I guess the big reason why I've never done my act in a comedy club in Calgary is for that exact reason. I know that the guy who runs the laugh shop will never book a prop act. He said it to me point blank in my face. You will never work my club. I love you, James. You're a great guy. You're pretty funny. But you'll never work my club because I don't want prop acts in my club. Well, he's calling it a prop act, right? Like, yeah. It's not a, even a prop act. No. A, what's a, a prop act? A prop act. I'm carrying a deck of cards. How is that a prop? 
you know? Yeah. And like, so they have no concept of what variety entertainment is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I'm using the word variety entertainment, you know, in replacement of busker. Right. But that's basically what we are. Yeah. We're variety acts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to make the step into comedy clubs because that's the next evolution of entertainment. As hard as it is to admit and recognize, street performing is changing. And it's altering, and I don't know whether or not my generation of street performers are going to be able to keep up with it by the time that it's changed entirely. You know, it's evolving to a point where no one's carrying money on them. Oh, yeah, Uh, there's that. People are harder to stop to entertain because I'm just as entertained by watching a YouTube video on my phone. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, between YouTube Mm -hmm. and iPhones and the cashless society... yeah. Street performing is under attack. Yeah, absolutely. It's changing. And so I want to step ahead of it and get into the new form of vaudeville, which is the comedy clubs, which is the the open mic nights at bars and pubs. Which is a throwback to the way the vaudeville absolutely. was, I was 100 years ago. My show, uh, so I just did my show Vaudevillian here in Calgary, uh, which is my theater show. And my big publicity stunt was to do every open mic that I found, right? And I went to just about every open mic, and I pointed out the fact that they are currently at a vaudeville show. You may not know what the word vaudeville is, but you are sitting in a vaudeville audience watching a vaudeville show because everyone in this audience is going to be getting up on stage at some point and performing. Everyone has something different to do and say. I probably am the only magician walking up, but I see three guys in the back. They're going to run a comedy set soon. Lots of musicians all playing different instruments. Some of them brought their own pianos. One of them brought a zithered long. Uh, Oh, excuse me? A zithered long. (laughs) It's... Uh, which I believe is the what they call it might be pronounced zidadong. Oh, okay, <laughs> this uh, Chinese string instrument. Oh, oh, uh, oh a zithered long. Yeah, a zidadong. Oh. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so the, it's a big variety show that they're currently watching. Right. Yeah. Vaudeville never died. No, people just forgot that they liked it. Yeah, exactly. It just changed, and people just didn't realize that they were watching a vaudeville show. Yeah. People don't realize that Conan O'Brien is a vaudeville show, or David Letterman is vaudeville. Actually, you know who's really brought it back is Jimmy Fallon. Yes, absolutely. He brings on all kinds of variety for his show. When he was chosen as the new host for The Tonight Show, I thought, what? Yeah. Because I didn't necessarily see him as a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. But now that he's been on the air for a couple of years, I think, actually, he was a really great choice because, you know... He's not a stand-up comic. He's not a stand-up yeah. comic, and he's really affable, and he's actually doing a lot more variety. Mm-hmm. They do the singing, and they do the dancing, and they do sketches. Yeah. A bit more like Carson was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's how I got into it. I mean, I remember being a kid getting up at the middle of the night and turning yeah. on the TV to watch Carson. Yeah, for me it was The Muppet Show. Uh, oh, well, that was a yeah variety yeah. show for sure. Yeah. yeah, That's why I wanted to be a vaudevillian, was watching a show like The Muppet Show. And like I pictured myself being the special guest on The Muppet Show. Even as a kid, I like I wanted to be 
introduced by Kermit the Frog, get up on stage, get halfway through my act, and then get eaten by a giant worm. Well, dreams come true. Dreams can come true. Yeah, that might happen. (laughs) In our dystopian future when we're taken over by sandworms. (laughs) Yeah, that might still happen. Yeah. So what do you think of that? those magicians like David Blaine? I love David Blaine. Uh, Yeah. And what's Uh, the other Chris Angel? Chris Angel. I do appreciate Chris Angel. When Chris Angel first came out, he had a great TV show or a great TV special where he did sort of this weird dark side of Cirque du Soleil magic show where it wasn't all magic tricks, but it was magical to watch. And illusions? Illusions and like some of it was just black art puppetry. Um, He had this one which was really neat of this garbage pile that sort of puts itself together and then it sort of walks around the stage and then it opens and then he walks out of it, right? Which was this beautiful effect. And so his stage show at that time, I really enjoyed. His TV show, Mind Freak, I hated. (laughs) Well, it didn't last very long. Well, it lasted way longer than it should have. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> this was terrible television. It was um, wasn't that it was bad magic. It was one trick that was pretty cool, developed and like stretched for half an hour, right? It was twenty three minutes of lead in, and then six minutes of trick, and then credits. So like a it street was, show. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least with a good street show, there are tricks within the lead-in, right? Mm-hmm. But there was nothing with Chris Angel. It was mostly just look at me. Empty calories. Yeah, exactly. It was empty calories. It was stupid television. And I I don't think that I'm spoiled well, when I think of... Well, you've seen a lot of stuff, right? Well, yeah. And like when I think of magic on TV, I think of Paul Daniels. And I think of Ravine, and I think of Kreskin, and I think of, uh, shoot, mustache, long curly hair. Uh, Isn't magic wonderful? Doug Henning. Right. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doug Henning. <laughs> Isn't magic wonderful? I thought you were talking about the guy who painted the trees. <laughs> Bob, uh, yeah, I can remember his name. <laughs> but let's take Paul Daniels. The first name I sputtered out there. He's on every fucking week. Every week that guy is on with an hour of new material. Not just new stand-up comedy. Like, he has a team of writers working and creating new jokes for him. He created new magic tricks to fill an hour every week. That's not easy. That is not easy at all. Like, there's building involved. Uh, there's writing, and it was entertaining. It wasn't just thrown out there. It was rehearsed and practiced and unbelievable. And then he brought on variety guests, which blew my mind. So do you see yourself doing the comedy album or the uh, magic special someday? If you had like your oh, man. one hour That thing? terrifies me. The idea of it terrifies me. I'd like to. Um, I was, I don't know if I can talk about this. We'll find yeah, out. What is this? I was shortlisted and pretty much cast for Wizard Wars. I've never heard of this. It's is that a like a LARPing TV show. Thing? Yeah, it's a <laughs> fireball, fireball. <laughs> um, it's a reality TV show where uh, two magicians who have never met get teamed up. They're given five props, 
and they have to create an act using these five props and have access to everything in magic. There's okay. this beautiful magic room that's filled with anything. Huh, so is this like a Canadian content sort of a baby? I, I think it's international. Okay. Yeah, I think it's international because there are Russian contestants and Japanese contestants. Okay. Uh, and Spanish, and the Spanish are amazing. I gotta say, as so, a magician. So you've actually yeah. did it? Recorded I was it? casted for it. Okay, um, you were cast, and, but you haven't done it yet. And then it got cancelled. Oh. For season three or four, I can't remember, but yeah, then it, I got the bad news that it's been cancelled. Oh. But you could have been a wizard for a day. Well... I was shortlisted to be just a contestant. And who are the wizards? That changes from season to season, but they're established career magicians. Okay. Um, who have built a life of magic. Who okay. have been featured at the Magic Castle. Um, oh, okay. published. Magicians know okay. who they are. Magic Castle, that's, so that's like L.A. Yeah, the Magic Asshole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Magic Asshole. <laughs> that is a, yeah. So that I was really excited about, and then sadly got canceled. But that's the ultimate nerd fest, isn't it? It totally is. Yeah, <laughs> the I'm, magic asshole. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, currently pitching my show to the Magic Castle because I plan a trip there at the end of May, and I'm hoping that I can get myself a week at the Magic Castle with Vaudevillian. It's a little bit last minute, but they're usually pretty good at filling spots and. This is totally off course, but this key lime um, cherry spritz is hitting the spot. Is it? It's a nice, refreshing alcoholic beverage. Yes, it, mm. yes, and it, uh, I mean, totally non-alcoholic. It's uh, diabetes in a can. Yeah, it is. It's very sweet. It's very sweet, but mm. it's hitting the spot on a rare, uh, warm day here in Calgary. In April. In April. Yeah. At Jimbo jo- or James Jordan's. Yeah. Uh, I was, I'm, I, you can call me, actually, a lot of the people listening to the podcast know me as Jimbo, too. So you can call me Jimbo all you want. I, I know. But, it's just that uh, I think that I met you when you were pretty young. Yeah. And well, there was Jimbo, a lot of Jameses around. Jimbo came out of me being in Loose Moose Theater, and there were like three other Jameses. There was Jamie Northern, James Jordan, and another Jamie. Someone else named Jamie. Plus the James in the office. There was a lot of James. Yeah. And so... So was it me that called you Jimbo, or was it, it just kind of came out of that uh, area? I'm not sure. Maybe it was you. Yeah, <laughs> it, it might have I been. have you to thank. <laughs> it was because three of us were in Maestro at the same time, and we needed names on the board, right. and we couldn't have three Jamies and three Jameses. Yeah, so, so you became I needed, Jimbo. I became Jimbo for that show, and, and then stuck. for the rest of my fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I actually really appreciate it, and I really enjoyed being Jimbo. Everybody, when you go anywhere in the world, you're like named Jimbo. Everybody knows you. Yeah, you know, there's no other Jimbos in the world. No, you're right. I keep forgetting that people know who I am because yeah. now that I've changed and I and and I refer to myself as James Jordan, and I realize nobody ever talks about James Jordan, and I feel like, oh well, it's because I guess nobody knows who I am. I forgot that everyone knows who Jimbo is. Not yeah, there's everyone. something to be said for that. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I had to get rid of... I wasn't necessarily killing Jimbo, um, but I was getting a lot of the wrong phone calls after a while for Jimbo the Clown, <laughs> which, like... Is there, uh, a, is there a Jimbo the Clown somewhere? No, the, well, or there is probably it? is, but when people see my old website... 
Oh, yeah. And that I'm a magician and that I do birthday parties. They just they jump, want they Jimbo, just the jump clown. to Jimbo the Clown. They just want Jimbo the Clown to come in and ride a unicycle and twist balloons for our kids. Well, honka, 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 yeah. Jimbo's here! Yeah. Yeah, no, that's no, not who we that's are. That's not quite who I am, and that's not quite what I do. <laughs> right. There's a lot of clowning in my show, but I am not billing myself as a clown. I just use clown as a skill. Yeah. Yeah. I often refer to my friends as clowns. Yeah. But not in the literal sense of clowns, as like sort of like, no, we're a couple of douchebags. We're clowns. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of schools of clown, and I've used a lot of it over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I now, oh yeah, the other, like, you I can't killed... shake it. it. Just be proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to correct someone for calling me Jimbo. Mm. Uh, it just reminds me of a happier time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the Jimbo days. I have to embrace my inner asshole. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I think my name is Eric. Go fuck yourself, Amber. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a time there where, you know, I was like not so proud of it. But, I, you know, you just got to embrace it. Mm-hmm. Got to embrace who you are. Yeah. And I was warned about you when I first met you. Of course you were. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone at Loose Moose, it was at uh, one of the parties. I can't remember why, but someone just said, if Eric ever takes you aside at this party, just don't take anything to heart. It's a good thing that he's he's trying to give you advice, but uh, when, he, when he gets into you're an asshole and you're a douchebag, just stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You never did that to me, though. That's because I never yeah. felt that you needed that talk. Ah, yeah. There's a quite, uh, you know, there's a few people that deserve that are still assholes, <laughs> and they obviously didn't take my advice. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's good to know. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. That means a lot. <laughs> I get this a lot. You know, I was warned by about you, and you know, I don't see what the yeah. big deal is. No, <laughs> I, I think even Brian, um, uh, Magic Brian, right. Was like I've been warned about you, but I've never seen that side of you. And I was like, no. "Yeah, but that's because Brian, you're a good guy. <laughs> I've never had to tell you off." Yeah, you know, yeah, you're not a dickhead. <laughs> yeah, no, you never gave me that talk that that everyone warned me about. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but Derek did. Uh, oh, Derek yeah, gave you the talk. Der- Derek gave me a bit of a talk in, at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. It was it was a good talk though. I took a lot away from it. One of the big things that I took away from that talk was that he told me that my show is a lot older than I am and that I need to start portraying myself as being older in order for my show to be successful. And that's when I grew the mustache. That's when I started using facial hair as part of my character in my show. And that made a big difference. Mm -hmm. It's true. My show is a lot older than I am. It's hard to take some of the sarcasm from, uh, at that point, a 23-year-old kid, right? I'm making comments about other people's healthy relationships, and they find it really offensive when a kid is making a comment about your marriage. Yeah, sure, they take it wrong. Yeah. They don't understand that you're just making jokes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think there's a lot of street performers who, um, for a lack of a better phrase, they uh, lift other people's jokes. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Mm -hmm. They don't even understand the joke that they're telling. Yeah. I think those are my favorite times, though. Because in my heart, I know that that street performer will never succeed. So I can think whatever I want of them. Um, (laughs) And know that it's not going to come back on my career in any way. But I watch people deliver a stock line 
And like, there's nothing wrong with stock lines. They're funny for a reason, but you have to, you have to use it organically, right? You have to just have them in your pocket and in your arsenal, but you can't just spread them out at anyone that walks by and have it not make any sense. But a lot of people are using these stock lines incorrectly. Yeah. Yeah. There's one who takes off his shoe at one point and then he says to the kid, hey kid, shoe, right? And like the line is you're telling the kid to shoe, right? You're telling the kid to get away and yeah. shoe, but he's... He's offering the kid his shoe. He didn't And get it, it makes no sense to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I know what the joke is, and I know where it's supposed to go, but he's saying it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to steal something, at least understand what you're fucking stealing. Exactly. Do some research. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm certainly not innocent of stealing jokes. Oh, no, uh, look. I, but uh, stealing is the wrong word, though. I don't like to think of it as stealing. It's uh, adapting, and, like, I'm never taking a joke word for word from somebody. I'm finding a place in my show that it fits. If it fits in my act, then it goes in my act, right? No, I know what you mean. Um, I think this is why a lot of stand-up comedians mm. look down on street performers. Oh, totally, yeah. Because they see us... Using each other's material in some cases. Mm. And so they go, I can't respect that. That's so strange to me because I come from an era, not from an era, from a belief of vaudeville where bits and jokes and material were shared amongst everyone. You'd show up to a theater and there would actually be a board with all the jokes and all the bits that are supposed to go in the show tonight and then you take that bit off the board and you put it in your pocket so that you can see what bits are left. And when you show up, you take the bits that you are going to do and put them in your pocket. So now, all the jokes that everybody does, the banana gag, you know, kind of thing, are just shared amongst the performers. Right. Yeah. So you do the banana gag? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a big part <laughs> of my show. Well, no, no, I think that that's right. You know, <laughs> Who doesn't do the banana oh, gag? Oh, yeah, I... <laughs> I turn my nose up to the banana gag. Oh <laughs> no! No, oh, someone's too big for the banana gag. Moved on to plantains. Huh? Oh, yeah. special you! I prefer my lady finger bit. Oh, <laughs> where's that been? <laughs> I think that's also my beef with improv, though. Like mm. improv, a lot of people they watch somebody do an improv scene, right? Like a say a speaking one voice or. A, arms expert or right. you know one of the classic timer. improv yeah. games and then when they go up instead of sort of like doing their own version of it they just repeat all the gags they yeah. saw somebody else do and yeah. so it's no longer improv no it's sketch comedy yeah yeah and the problem with improv is that it's like it's the herpes of comedy everybody does it yeah and so I've, I, that's why I don't really do improv anymore. Mm. I like to write jokes. I like to write scripts. Mm. I learned a lot from it. Yeah. It gave me a lot. Yeah. It formed the basis of, I guess, what you might call my you know, creative craft. Mm -hmm. But it's not really improv. No. But again, now that you have evolved as a magician mm -hmm. and a performer, you don't need to do all that stuff anymore you can actually start to explore and do your own thing yeah yeah exactly i haven't lifted a bit from another street show in a decade 
And it's not going to make you. You're not necessarily going to get famous by doing the thumb tip routine. No. But you might get famous by coming up with your own bit. with my own version of it. Yeah, yeah. I keep coming back to it, but the the mousetrap thing that I'm very proud of because it's an original concept. It's sort of thrown it like I'm throwing in bits from other things that I've uh, seen and experienced. A lot of it, like the mousetraps itself on the feet, came from your hat game. The uh, the shrinking of the signature came from a magician named Chuck Fame. And then the blindfold bits, I do a, quite a bit of blindfold bits, and they're just thrown in from anyone else who's... But you've, you've fashioned it in your yeah, own way. Yeah, and I've, I've never been an innovator. I suffer from the worst imposter syndrome ever, and that's because I don't feel like a strong enough innovator in magic and in theater. But I'm a very good routiner, and I, like, I, I understand how to write a bit, and I know how to put things together. And so I do a very good job of that. And so I've been told that it's creativity. But my imposter syndrome keeps telling me that, no, you're just a piece of shit. Taking stuff from other people, putting it together, you're not creating anything. One of the most original shows I ever saw was this guy named Maynard Flip Flap. But you know, his show is terribly original. Mm. <laughs> but... I, but I don't remember him making a lot of money. <laughs> right. But I, it was very original. And, mm-hmm. But he went out of his way to like, I was like, I'm not going to be like anybody else. Right. I'm going to be completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one route. Or you could just become really good at mm-hmm. something. You're like, I'm going to be the best at this thing. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. Yeah. There's going to be other people coming along down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. You know, young people. And what are you going to do? Okay, these are some tricks you can do, kid, but if you do them, you're a fucking piece of shit. No, yeah. you can't do <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. All the young people, you have to learn the tricks, and you become good at them, mm-hmm. and then one day you'll make them your own. Yeah. And I think that that's totally okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and and I've, I've now I've convinced myself that what I've done and what I do is okay, and it must be because I'm successful. But it's always been in the back of my head, this imposter syndrome just sort of sits there and just eats away at my consciousness. I think it's strong right now. The reason why I'm talking about it right now is because we're just coming out of winter, right? And so it really eats away at me throughout the whole winter when I haven't been performing for eight months. And so I don't have the opportunity to tell myself, oh shit, you know what? Actually, I'm I'm pretty good at this. You know, that I just succeeded at something that makes me feel really good. Gathered a crowd, did a show, and at the end of that show, I feel really good about myself. But for the last eight months, I haven't had that. I've just been doing whatever corporate gig comes my way. And that is not gratifying, right? Um, kind of scratches at your soul a bit. You're a like, little oh, bit. I'm just doing the same old shit. Yeah, and I don't even consider taking new material to corporate gigs. For some reason, I feel like because they're paying me, this is not the place to try new material out. No, they don't, they don't want new. They want what they know will yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. They want me to be successful. And I want to be successful. I want to, like... And quite I frankly, want... they don't deserve it. <laughs> no, they don't deserve They're the sitting at the tables eating food and yeah. sort of barely paying attention. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah, exactly. Calgary Chamber guys. of Commerce, go fuck yourself. <laughs> fuck Calgary podcast. <laughs> fuck Calgary. <laughs> you should start your own separate podcast. <laughs> Just the Fuck Calgary podcast. GFY. With Eric Amber. <laughs> 
Well, you know what? Obviously, Calgary has been good to you. Yeah. It is not the easiest pitch to work, for sure. So, like, if you can be really successful on the street in Calgary. And because I have been successful, I was... That's when I built up the confidence to go to Australia for the first time. I've been told that it's really difficult to work in Australia, but I've worked Calgary. And not only do I work Calgary, it's my home pitch. So how tough can Australia be? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Australian audiences are tough, but they're great. They were great. They're really great audiences. No, you know, I think that you cut your teeth in a tough town, and then when you go elsewhere... You realize you actually do have skills. Mm-hmm. Hey, man. Power to you. Well, thank you. I'm waiting for that James Jordan magic special. I'm waiting for it, too. I've got myself a great agent now that's actually booking me television shows. Is that so, right? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I, I've sent in an audition tape for another reality TV show that's looking for magician hosts. Okay. Um, I was just, So you're not doing too bad. No. You've got, you got a dog. You've got a cat. You've got a <laughs> girlfriend. You've got a place to live. Yeah. I've got Palm Bay uh, lime spritzers, Cherokee lime spritzers, a fridge full of them. Yeah, live in La Vida Loca. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, say goodbye to James Jordan, everybody. What? <laughs> Aw, thanks, everyone. We, we don't have to go, but... I got stuff to do. I, yeah, I've got TV shows to film and uh, pilot episodes to create, uh, sketch comedy to write. Yeah, I've, I've got all kinds of stuff to do. I've got... Work. I've got... <laughs> Don't you worry about James. Yeah. I'll be fine. You just stay right there listening to your podcast. Listen to the next one. Right. You know, don't stop listening just because I'm out here struggling, trying to make a living. You just enjoy yourselves. <laughs> and before we go, do you have any predictions uh, on the on the future of Canada? On the future of Canada? I think uh, Jim Prentice will become Prime Minister of Canada and then arts will be completely destroyed, and then all the artists in Canada will be put onto a boat and will be floating off the Vancouver shores. Okay, so stick with magic. Yeah. Because you're not really a political analyst. <laughs> no? no? No. No? You don't think Jim Branches is going to go? Oh, he, oh, yeah, yeah. I, is, oh, you mean the current premier of Alberta? Yeah. I, I do not believe he will win the next election. I hope not. I really hope not. I almost lost my part in Fargo because Jim Prentice started taxing the film industry in Alberta. And so they were about to pull out. And I'm like, can you wait? Just wait. Just let me film. This uh, This is my first role. Did you have a part? I did. Yeah, I got to be a magician in Fargo. (laughs) Is that what they call... um, Typecasting? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm okay with that. And so is my agent. I told her... If we typecast me as a magician, I'm happy with that because that's where Harry Anderson started. And Harry Anderson is a huge hero of mine. And so if if I get typecast as the magician swindler who comes in on Cheers every once in a while, I can turn that into a viable acting career. You're looking the part these days, too. A magician <laughs> swindler. <laughs> yeah. I just don't have the uh, the accent or the, uh, the confidence to be a confidence. Oh, man. you're not bad enough. <laughs> not bad you're, enough. You're not I'm, bad yeah, enough to be a swindler. Yeah, I, I have too big of a heart. Yeah, you're a nice yeah. guy. <laughs> My heart needs to be three sizes too small. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll leave it there. James Jordan, nice guy. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. 
Stories from the Pitch is produced by the Busker Hall of Fame and is made possible through the efforts of a dedicated team who share a passion for the recording, editing, and presenting of these interviews. This episode was proudly sponsored by Dolphin Creative, a company dedicated to supporting street theater and all of the incredible characters who make up this world. Wherever you perform, Dolphin Creative salutes you. For more information, please visit dolphincreative.org. And huge thanks to Stuart and his team for sponsoring this episode. If you'd like to support what we're doing, please do consider swinging by the Busker Hall of Fame website and throwing a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Or become a sustaining supporter of this project at patreon.com slash buskerstories. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us grow this resource and generate more content. So thanks in advance for supporting this project and helping us keep busking history alive. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Simply go to your favorite app, type in Stories from the Pitch, and download away. If you're accessing this content via iTunes, we'd love it if you could take a moment and leave us a review and give us a five-star rating. It'll take you just a minute or two, and it means the world to our production team. Got a story to tell? Something you think we can improve? A performer you'd like us to interview? Or perhaps you're interested in becoming a sponsor of an upcoming episode? If so, drop Magic Brian a line at magic at buskerhalloffame.com. Haven't gotten enough Busker Hall of content yet? Well then, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash buskerhalloffame. Follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube, or sign up for our newsletter. Links to all of these can be found on the Busker Hall of Fame website on the right-hand side of the page. And just before wrapping things up, one last thought from James about his motivation behind wanting to be involved with the Street Performers Festival in Calgary. I really wanted to change Calgary. That was my whole goal with, uh, well, that's not true, actually. That was a side effect that I was hoping for. But the truth is, the real reason why I wanted to start booking acts and have festivals in Calgary is because I missed my friends. I really wanted my friends to come and hang out with me for 10 days in Calgary and uh, just do shows where there are pitches and there are people. And if you're a good enough street performer, you can do it. It's just a bit more of a struggle than you were expecting. It's not as easy as some of these other festivals. On behalf of myself, Eric Amber, who captured this interview, story editor Magic Bryant, and the rest of the staff of the Busker Hall of Fame, we hope this finds you well. And as you perform for audiences around the world, please remember to use your superpowers for good. I'm David Aiken, the Checkerboard Guy. Thanks for listening. Just get my news through my crystal ball. <laughs>